one of the greatest nuggets of wisdom from the experience of being stripped down to nothing from yourself dying, you know, and ego death is used in psychedelic and, and psychological literature. But in the theological literature, you, you, you often see the terminology used as self annihilation, same idea, right? Like the, all the, your conceptual framework for who you are and what you are is, is stripped bare. And I think part of the point of that is so that you realize that you're not simply one rigid identity, nor is that the optimized way of interacting mm. with an ever-changing environment. What you are is potential and the capacity mm. to act in different ways in different environments. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 71 and also part two of the Money Messiah series with John Vallis. There's a, there's a quote for this one. The highest value becomes our God, the point where comparative values dissolve this was this was obviously an extension on the original discussion we had uh, it was a huge discussion i think we did three and a half hours straight off the bat in um in that one discussion so we've chopped it up into three parts we've got f subsequent parts actually also coming uh so in this episode we we cover the article really we really start digging into that we we ask the question of what is value and where does it come from? And some of the key areas we explored was limitation, sacrifice, exclusion, selection and prioritization, which are all of course related to the concept of hierarchies. And this is something that if you're familiar with my work or John Ballas's or uh, any of us who are kind of in that mode or in that zone, this is a this is a incredibly important idea that Jordan Peterson talks about. Uh, we dive a little bit also into this idea of East versus West, uh, and you know we we had a we had a couple of epiphanies. I mean, there was a whole lot of epiphanies during this whole series, but one of them was this idea of uh, the East being perhaps more liberation oriented, whereas the West was more uh, responsibility centric, and and maybe liberation oriented in terms of like the Taoist philosophy, probably not the Confucian type. Uh, we talked a little bit about Nirvana and Satori, uh, you know, reaching a point where comparative values dissolve. Uh, we, we talked about uh, the apex state and whether the apex state was like this state of n n uh, Nirvana or Satori, or is Satori and Nirvana this interstitial state? And that's sort of where we find value, which is kind of linked to, again, the uh, Persig's idea in, in Leela of value being actually the um you know the the substance for lack of a better term or the or the thing that sits between uh the objective and the subjective and the and the relative and the absolute etc so we uh we talked about spiral dynamics um we jesus we, we covered so much in this so, so you're gonna really love this episode as i've been pushing on all of the episodes if you're listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify or any of that Jump off there, get on Fountain, get on Breeze, get on one of these value for value apps. If you're not on them yet, check them out. They're fantastic. The podcast players are awesome. What the teams are building there is absolutely fantastic. And it allows you to interact with me as the host. And in future also, we'll be able to interact with uh, the guests as well. So something we want to do down the track, which we're not exactly ready for yet, but uh, I know Fountain's actually got the feature available. We're just not ready internally yet to, to structure it, but you'll be able to stream some sets or send boosts that are split between myself and the guests. And we can set up that pre-split so that way you guys can support both the guests and myself in what we're doing here with Value for Value. And that way we can incentivize uh, 
all sorts of different types of guests to come in. And particularly, as you guys know, my, my whole push is I want to bring people in from outside of Bitcoin who are peripheral and, you know, what I would call the, the dormant remnants and get them plugged into Bitcoin. And when they can see the power of such things, uh, I think we'll, it'll, it'll go a long way to, to bringing the right kind of people into and around Bitcoin. So if you enjoyed this episode, boost different sections of it. Also boost the stuff that you might want me later to go into and also boost and comment with, I don't know, if you want me to say something, if you want me to bring on another guest, if you have any ideas that you think are worth uh, delving into, hit me up. I'll be checking out and post this series because I'm going to do all these intros uh, all in a row. And then after the series, as I start to receive comments and boosts, I'm actually going to start regularly reading out comments and boosts and giving people shout outs on the podcast so that we can start encouraging more of a dialogue instead of me uh, talking at you, as, uh, as the French would say. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy part two of the Money Messiah series, and I'll see you next week for part three. In your piece, like I, I pulled out some key words because you talk about like um, what is value and where does it come from? And, you know, one of the big words you used was um, limitation. Um, use sacrifice, uh, exclusion, selection, focus, prioritization, you know, and this sort of ties back into a discussion about hierarchy. But can you can you talk a little bit about that there and and why why that's important? Because I think for me, if I may, like the the older I've become, the more I've uh, respected things like you know, hierarchy and boundaries and, um, and th th there's a, there's a great quote that comes to mind by, uh, Viktor Frankl, where he says the, the West coast of the United States should have a statue of responsibility to counter or limit the East coast's statue of Liberty, right? Like, because unfettered liberty without some sort of limitation is you know pointless like you know if, you know if i'm free to just come and fucking slap you in the face that's not really freedom like i need to be responsible enough to know that i shouldn't impinge on you know your freedom not to be slapped so so i think that for me was a really important takeaway and and, and i wonder for you like if you could explain to people who may not have read your piece yet it's like how does that particularly the limitation piece um help define value sure i'll i'll uh, i'll do my best Please. here but and, and the I meaning think... of life as well while you're at it <laughs> yeah like i said i mean i i'm i'm currently working on or updating i guess uh or broadening my perspective on on value as we've been discussing but i think the way that i used it in that piece which i still largely agree with is that you know, limitation is required for value because absent limitation, well, wh what even are you? I mean, you can't, what is, there's nothing, put it this way, there's nothing to give up if you don't have any limitation and value requires sacrifice in okay, order to be so, determined. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I think the mechanics of a value in that way is 
you know, okay, I have limited resources, time, energy, and the opportunity cost of taking any one single action versus an, versus an infinity of others effectively. Okay, well, what, what is the, the, what is the thing that I'm most, I'm going to make that sacrifice for? What is it? And, and you, you determine the, the value of the thing that you make that sacrifice for is determined because you've made the sacrifice for it. And you're unable to do that unless you're limited in some way, right? Mm -hmm, if you're just, mm -hmm. if you're just the genie of the lamp with like phenomenal cosmic powers and you're just infinite, like there, there's no value because everything is equally relevant to you. And so our limitation allows value to exist. And, you know, again, back to the religious narrative, I think what they try to explicate is, okay, if we understand the mechanics of value as being, I have to sacrifice something in order to access or receive something of, of value. That's, those are the mechanics of value. Okay, let's take it to the extremes. What is the thing I, what is the greatest sacrifice I can make in order to receive the thing of greatest value? And I, the reason, and I think ultimately that the answer to that has been dealt with maybe even better in the Eastern traditions like Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, because they deal more than the Western traditions with the concept of liberation. And I think it's something like what we were referring to earlier that, because I think our default is, okay, I'm a limited and vulnerable human being in the world. The, the, I'm trying to sacrifice aspects of myself, my energy, time, et cetera, in order to build up that limited version of myself. I'm trying to have things accrue to myself, the idea of myself, the physicality of myself. But it seems to be the case that the ultimate liberation from the suffering of life and from, from well, let's say the ultimate liberation from uh, the, the, <laughs> the thing that most limits our access to value. And maybe we could say that liberation is like being absorbed into the highest and fullest form of value. You know, the idea of being absorbed into the mind or, or heart of God or what other terminology has been used um, is the removal. Is this is sacrificing completely your ends to higher ideals, kind of the, the, the concept that we were dealing with earlier. And now maybe it's not ever possible to do so completely because we remain physical beings in the world, but basically to subordinate <clears throat> what might have been prior simply your individual gain to or orienting yourself around subordinating, subordinating yourself to however we want to term that to certain values like love and truth and freedom. Those are the ones that keep emerging in my mind. And if you do that, if you displace your own ends with conforming to them, what my interpretation of a lot of the texts from, you know, again, particularly the East, is that that is what allows you to access the greatest form of value, which is also the felt sense of liberation, liberation from your own desire, liberation from your own suffering, liberation from uh, limitation ultimately, mm -hmm. because you, you've, you become almost infinite in, in that way. That's yeah, kind of a sketchy yeah, explanation, yeah. but you, you, you ask, you go for it. The, the words that come to mind there is kind of like Nirvana or Satori, right? Like, right, um, right. particularly in the East. And, and I mean, Alan Watts, 
I mean, for me, has been a big inspiration for you know Eastern philosophy um, all throughout the years. In fact, it's funny when I was a major atheist, um, like I guess what um, a voice that helped me during that time was Alan Watts, who's a brilliant theologist who you know definitely went. He was definitely skewed far more to the um, to the eastern side. But as as you were speaking, then something just hit me, which is um, the east versus west types of philosophies. Like the the epiphany that I had from the void is um, that the east seems to be more liberation oriented. Eastern philosophy or eastern religion or eastern theology has been more liberation oriented, while the west seems to be more responsibility oriented. And I'm, and I'm thinking about this through the lens of what I said earlier about what Rick Frankel said, you know, liberty on one side, responsibility on the other, and you kind of bring them together and you have both the, um, you know, freedom and, you know, the bounds of responsibility. And, you know, maybe this sort of blend of the two philosophies is kind of the middle way. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Just hit me as you were talking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting observation. And I'm probably not deeply familiar enough with either to say how valid an observation it is, but it is interesting. And on the surface, like I, I can see why you might make that type of comparison, but the, 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 I guess the last piece on the, the value explanation I'll make is that I, I think in the piece, I'm pretty sure I write it in such a way to say, like, it almost seems to me that value is Values, as we've been discussing, value is the thing that determines behavior, right? And the, the comparative way that your value hierarchy is formed, it's like your limitation allows you to have a, a universe of things that you could devote yourself to mm -hmm. that you determine are valuable. And then the internal process of a hierarchy is saying, and it's almost like you did, you, you gain clarity or you determine the hierarchy only through the act of sacrifice and action. But before that, it's like, um, it's like quantum shit. mechanics, yeah. right? Like it doesn't yeah. even, it's not stable, but once you act, you could say, boom, that's, that's what the hierarchy produced at, at that moment in time. And so, and the, and you could, if you analyze that, you could say, well, why did I take that action? Like what value or what thing was I pursuing in that action and what values are inherent in that thing that I was pursuing? And so it seems like we have these value is both the end aim of consciousness like it's like being absorbed into ultimate value, nirvana, liberation, et cetera. Like perhaps that's the apex state of, of human consciousness. So it's the goal, but it's also the mechanism that allows for movement toward the goal in that you have these intermediate values that allow the construction of a hierarchy that determines action. And so it seems to be like life per perhaps properly lived, although that's, you know, quite the, um, quite the judgment statement. but it, yeah. yeah it's quite the statement but it's like we we engage in that mechanism of value that we are granted by virtue of being limited and the very and like the very point of that um process or the mechanics of that is to increasingly get toward a higher notion of value that we can hold and conceptualize in our consciousness and then embody in our life you know and, and maybe the ends of that is liberation although again it's hard to describe what liberation is and how it's practical in a world where you still have to feed yourself and, and actually engage with people but yeah. i think it's something like that it's like it's both 
It's both the integral component of the mechanism so that value can, so that action can be uh, taken, taken, but it's also the, like, the ultimate end goal of all action that is taken as a result of that very mechanism or some, something like that. I know it was a bit choppy. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. So as you were talking there, maybe to challenge the idea of like an end goal idea, because I, I feel like you, know, you, you made a point where once again, in your article, you say Nirvana is basically this, you know, this point in which comparative value basically dissolves, you know, and, and, and that, that, you know, for lack of a better term, is the infinite, right? When, when, yeah. when you know, infinite implies that there is nothing to trade off because everything is infinite. And, and as much as infinity is a, is a, is a thing we try and conceptualize, um, we actually can't. It's impossible to conceptualize infinity because, you know, infinity <laughs> doesn't actually fucking exist in any useful way for us. Um, and, and, and I don't know, does that mean then that perhaps the the goal is not so much uh to reach nirvana um or to reach satori so that you know all comparative value dissolves but maybe it is um fuck. maybe it's like you know a direction or a way or something i don't know like i i i feel better you know just sort of judging it in my body judging it maybe intuitively that you know value seems to be the the thing that orients but but i don't know if um i mean i don't know if reaching some level of you know nirvana is even useful and maybe that's the utilitarian side of me kind of saying like okay fine well when you have no comparative value you know basically you're dead because you know you you've already become infinite so you know, in, in the living world, uh, limitation and comparison and hierarchy is fundamentally important. We're not supposed to transcend that because if we do transcend that, then, you know, maybe we're no longer alive. So mm -hmm. I know, it, I think I know what you're, you're getting at. And mm. I'd say two things about it. One is I think that experience, and this is how it's always characterized in these stories and obviously in the psychedelic literature and stuff is to the extent that they fostered movement toward an experience like that mm -hmm. is that like that is what happens you the concept of you dies everything mm -hmm. that would mm -hmm. cut you mm -hmm. off or inter disintermediate you from the source of greatest value is removed in order that you can have the maximal fidelity relationship with the thing of greatest value mm -hmm. and so and you can't exist for that to be the case almost because you're your desires and your thoughts and your associations and your identifications all serve to it, uh, introduce distortion into that relationship. And so once that's removed, you do kind of die, not physically, but the concept mm -hmm, of yourself dies. Mm -hmm, and this is mm -hmm. why ego death is so prominent in the literature around this stuff. But you're, you know, I totally agree. And this is what I've been trying to work through a lot, like, you know, in my own mind, and I've had a couple of good conversations with John Verveke to try to work around this. Um, I think that's, let's call it the apex experience available to human consciousness but you're right in that it or i think you're right in that it like i don't see how it could be the end in itself because it's not it's not an action it's 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 a, a, a 
it's not conducive to furthering the cause of life and creation. It, it's like, mm, it's a, mm. a stillness, if you will, like it's a perfect stillness with the, the value of the world. And it's unspeakably beautiful and it's ineffable. And I think there is a tremendous value in being able to get there. But the big, you know, the 21 million uh, Bitcoin question is how do you connect the two? How do you connect that yeah. experience with right action in life? How, how do you mm -hmm. how do you become how do you use that optimally to become the best version of a uh, like an individuated form of creation in the world? Like what how does it inform what you do? What is right action? And again, you can you can kind of we've discussed like the corruption of the institutions of of religion earlier. You can kind of forgive them in a sense because like I think a lot of them when they, you know, put their lists of do's and don'ts or like, this is the eightfold path or the right way of doing things, all this kind of stuff. You can forgive them for doing it because like, you know, they were probably grappling with that question too. And they said, look, like it seems, the answer seems to be wrapped up somewhere in some of these like guidelines or, or, or pointers, you know? So, you know, this is what we've come up with, go and run it forward and see how it works out. Now I'm not saying it excuses all the corruption, but I'm just kind of jokingly saying like, I can appreciate where they're coming from. But that's the big question. I mean, you can you can you can become the Godhead. You can experience Nirvana. You can be absorbed into the love of God. Use whatever language you want. What happens next is the mm -hmm. big question. Mm -hmm. What do you do? And yes, we're so, all trying to figure that out. Yeah. So so then maybe maybe I'll just challenge the use of the word um, apex uh, in relation to describing that experience because may maybe maybe it's like the interstitial experience like it's it's the necessary one that reminds us that we are you know somehow interconnected or a part of you know of, of something greater but maybe maybe the, the reason i caution this is because i know so many people who have like i mean all they do is fucking ayahuasca retreats or fucking mushroom yeah, and this and that and they're just yeah, yeah. yeah they're fucking out of their mind that's the problem is you know they're you know the they've like they've gone off the deep end and you know basically th they found a new path towards fucking nihilism because you know everything is about uh reaching a point of nothingness where all value dissolves um and i think that's such a fucking um such a cheap way to uh to appreciate that special experience um mm. but th they've become convinced that that's the point you know that's the apex that's what we need to get to and um why do all this other stuff when you know i can just go do an ayahuasca ceremony and i've reached nirvana um if that is the outcome if that is the end goal so, so that's why i'm kind of like you know challenging this idea of like maybe it's not the end goal maybe it's not the apex but maybe it's this this interstitial thing like it it's it's there insofar as it helps us um better order to something but he, he, here's a here's a um fuck this just came out of the void as well is this um the you know that painting of the stairs that seems like it's always continually going up maybe that's what we're fucking doing is that um you know we're like the stairs don't actually lead anywhere um, but it's like this continual increase of like, you know, I don't know, order, structure, fidelity, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the, the process of moving, you know, along that staircase is, um, is, you know, using value and it's probably very healthy for us to, 
at times remind ourselves that you know there's there's some sort of deeper substructure or whatever but like the goal isn't to climb to the top of the stairs and say i'm here um i've reached mm -hmm. nirvana like i i can now let all value dissolve um you know maybe, maybe that is antithetical to the the purpose of life in the first place so yeah no it's a great point you know and i'll just make the note that like any good podcast here we are trying to uh, explain what the meaning of life is, but um, <laughs> as is as is common practice these days. But no, I, I agree, and I've obviously encountered a lot of those types of people, and and lovely as they typically are, even though if they might be a little on the annoying side. Like I do think they've they've sometimes replaced one identity, you know, their mm -hmm. former nihilist or whatever mm -hmm. self, mm -hmm. with a new i a new rigid identity, which is you know I'm whatever an ayahuasca or whatever, yeah, spiritual yeah. this and that and i think the whole like one of the greatest uh, nuggets of wisdom from the experience of being stripped down to nothing from yourself dying you know and ego death is used in psychedelic and, and psychological literature but in the theological literature you 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 uh you often see the terminology used as self-annihilation, same idea, right? Like the, all the, your conceptual framework for who you are and what you are is, is stripped bare. And I think part of the point of that is so that you realize that you're not simply one rigid identity, nor is that the optimized way of interacting mm -hmm. with an ever-changing environment. What you are is potential and the capacity mm -hmm. to act in different ways in different environments. And I, I think of mastery in terms of being able to be the the most appropriate aspect of yourself for whatever the certain circumstance or environment calls for if it needs Context. you to be the fighter needs you to be the Fuck lover yes. it needs you to be the intellectual can you suspend or is your identity fluid enough and it's not rigidly you know adhered to one particular version of yourself but you like you have that space between, you know, whatever the spirit, the spark of energy that animates, you know, who you are and your preferences and your likes and dislikes and all that kind of stuff. Can you create enough space there to move into what are still genuine aspects of yourself, but you're wise enough, you're virtue, like uh, you have the capacity to engage what is what the situation most calls for. Like if you're in, uh, if you're trapped in the woods and there's like five wolves about to eat your shit, like, can you bring out the Wolverine? Can you totally, just go yeah. full on animal mode and like ride or die? Let's figure it out. Or like your idea, your idea of yourself as a mild mannered accountant or whatever, are you just going to, you know, cower and basically accept your fate? You know? And, and so I think those experiences are helpful for and you know your comment and my comment kind of d directly contradicts this. So I guess both outcomes are possible because you can have those experiences and then identify with like the shaman or the spiritual person or whatever, and that becomes your identity. Or you can be stripped down, you can self-annihilate, you can have an ego death. And even though you come back into like your normal self and how you normally are, there's an appreciation that you have the capacity to engage different aspects of yourself and or you have the capacity to engage in different behaviors based on what the situation calls for and what mastery is is aligning those two same thing again map and territory right like making sure that you have the capacity to become what is most fitted for the territory of the circumstance that you're you're currently in or you're trying to move through dude thank you so much for fucking saying that it's i when i was young it's it's, it's funny i 
have you, have you kept the journal for a lot of your life, like internally or not really? Okay, no. dude, I, I used to keep a journal back from when I was a punk 20 year old kid, right? And and I was I was always super curious. And about two months ago, I found like, um, I was backing, I was backing up one of my computers or some shit. And I found my old notes from like 2008, 2009, 2010, you know, writing about shit. And that fucking point that you bring up there, um, I had a no bullshit, like I've got this piece called context is everything. And I talk about there, like bringing out the part of your personality. Uh, sorry, I, I explained mastery is bringing out the right personality to for, for the appropriate context. Um, and it's so fucking funny that you're saying that because for me, that's, I literally thought of mastery for as long as I can remember now as that. It's like the ability to apply the right version of yourself um, in the appropriate context. And I mean, hearing that now, it's kind of like just sparked that in me. And that is literally mapping territory again. It reminds me of, um, have you have you dug into Spiral Dynamics at all? No. So um, I think you will absolutely love this. Uh, Krieger and I uh, did a podcast on this. So Spiral Dynamics was developed by um, a guy called... He, he was around Maslow's time, um, Claire Graves. And, and basically, it's, it's a model of understanding, uh, I guess, individual and collective value structures or value hierarchies through an, uh, through an evolutionary lens, which is kind of like, it visually looks like a spiral. Um, and it starts off with like very basic values which is you know survival and um you know egocentric me 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 and it's like kind of what we all have to emerge from as babies then it goes into sort of tribal power god structure um you know more entrepreneurial enterprising green yellow which is integration of all of them and then um kind of purple which is the satori uh equivalent right and, and it's it's kind of like a it's the much better version of what, what i think or you know, better is a relative term. So it's a much more useful version of Maslow's hierarchy, which is a little bit more, you know, rigid three, four, five levels, whatever it is. Um, and anyway, Krieger and I had a real like three hour fucking podcast on this. And one of the big takeaways that we took from that is literally what you just said about the, um, the, the wolves in the, uh, in the forest is that the, the example of the analogy I always used is in red, uh, red is kind of like the third layer of consciousness, uh, which emerges out of this um, initial tribal consciousness. You know, we're all a group. We're all, you know, need to survive together, but it's kind of like um, ethnocentric. Uh, red kind of swings the pendulum back to the self. It's more egocentric. And red is generally, you know, the kind of archetype that represents red consciousness is a Donald Trump or, a, you know, like, a I don't know who's a fucking rock star like you know uh axel rose or something like that right or alexander the great or genghis khan or something like that and most people view the red energy or the red consciousness um or the red values hierarchy as brutal or oppressive you know and it's kind of called the power god one but um you know when krieger and i were discussing it i kind of said hey the red energy though is can you tap into the red energy if your fucking house is burning down what do you do? Go into green and we're all in this together and we're all going to fucking burn in the house together? No, you go into red, you pick up the fucking chair, you throw it out the window 
and you tell everybody to walk the fuck out before you die, right? So, so the, the ability to move between those energies um, or those archetypes or those character types within you, each of them actually, and you know, this ties into the rest of our discussion, each of them are actually a mini values hierarchy within you as well, um, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really fascinating. Um, or they, they determine it at each strata, right? Like they, yeah. they help inform the action at, at each level of consciousness, let's say. Totally. And, and an integrated being is someone who can, um, at, at least in my experience and in, the, in, in this spiral dynamics model, is someone who has the ability to reorder their values hierarchy um, by moving up and down the spiral as needed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and that, that I find really fascinating and very, very, very relevant to the discussion, um, we're having. So, so I'd totally fucking, you will fall in love with that model. It's, uh, I'll check, I'll, I'll check it out. I have heard of it before. I just never took the time to, to look into it, but you know, as you're saying that, I mean, it, it kind of seems like wisdom is the ability to engage the right aspect for the right circumstance. And, you know, John Verbeke, I think he, he mentioned this to me when we spoke, I mean, he did mention it to me when we spoke. I think this is what he said. I think he said that virtue is the beauty of wisdom. And I kind of like, kind of got it at the time, but I've still been chewing on it since. Like, I'm not 100% sure what he means there. But as we're having this conversation, like if wisdom is the ability to show up as the version or aspect of yourself that's most appropriate for the circumstance, perhaps virtue is doing so with, like as many of those eternal transcendent values or principles, like most represented in yourself as you do so. And, and you know, maybe it's, it's, this is, maybe I didn't articulate the first part well, because like if you're showing up as the most appropriate version of yourself for the circumstance, maybe that's uh, implied, but maybe the mechanics of it is that you're drawing on the virtues or values or principles that you need for any given circumstance to mediate that circumstance as optimally as possible. Because as you were just saying, like you can show up as red in the wrong place. You can be a monster, you can be a murderer, you can be whatever. And that is, that's very bad. But if you are showing up as the right version with the right virtues at the right time, you know, we're asking ourselves like, well, what's the point of having a greater clarity around like what the highest values are? Well, maybe it's that, maybe it's so that we can string like we can draw down from that source of ultimate value and our conceptions of the things that characterize it into the places and times where they're most appropriate by integrating them into ourselves and then expressing them into the world and maybe that's the way that we contribute to you know the flourishing of course of our own lives but also like if if in that sense we're kind of being vessels for those values or virtues out into a a chaotic world maybe that's kind of the notion of like contributing to the kingdom of god right like bringing those transcendent virtues and principles into the world through our actions in the maximal or optimal way based as determined by the territory that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm, the the mm -hmm, environment mm -hmm. or circumstance and maybe that's the point of no you don't want to just you know, be pie in the sky, like, uh, you know, ayahuasca person all the time, because that experience is, is, is only is a extremely powerful experience, but it serves to inform action ultimately. And mm-hmm. so when you go out into the world, you have a, a 
greater capacity and a perspective that allows you to show up as the most appropriate map for the territory you're encountering, let's say, or something like that. I think we've stumbled on something here, man, honestly, because I think, I, I think it's a very important um, nuance, you know, the, the, you know, to, to, I guess, to try and sum up what you said there, it's like the, the apex experience is not um, one of these flavors um, or not a particular values hierarchy, but the apex experience is the right values hierarchy for the right moment uh, in the right time. And like it, it, the, the apex to do that yeah the right. apex experience is basically when the map meets the specific territory maybe we could say it like that and and that specific because the territory always changes it's not always right to be a specific way um all the fucking time like it doesn't make sense um mm -hmm. you know if if so so that that's that's a and if we if we want to break that down a little bit further, if you don't mind me jutting in, yeah, here, yeah, yeah, it's like course. maybe when the Nirvana experience is biggest map meets biggest territory, like it's the it's the overarcher, but it's it's no less relevant that you know lowercase m map and lowercase t territory are you have the capacity to meet them in the physical ever-changing world not the transcendent world let's say by virtue of the fact that you are familiar with or you've derived the capacity to do that in the former right so maybe that's the relationship between the two maybe it's ultimately kind of a similar process but it's map and territory meeting in different ways one you know the former is the larger umbrella but it gives you the capacity to meet map and territory whatever the territory might be in the physical world that you engage with as your, as a physical body. Interesting. Yep. Um, as you were explaining that, um, I was almost picturing like a, like a canvas almost. Um, and you know, the, the, the version of consciousness in which, um, you know, you're, you're experiencing Satori is, you know, is, con is conducive when, um, you know, you're, you're kind of closer to the, to the canvas. And then when the terrain kind of gets bumpy or, you know, shit actually occurs, like, like, for example, the last thing you want to do is fucking be on mushrooms uh, <laughs> in the middle of a fight. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, um, so yeah, like, but maybe the mushrooms somehow enable you to show up as a better fighter if you've had them in a different time and place. Maybe it allows mm, you mm, to mm. engage your body more and see the world in a different way. And, you know, maybe that's, or, or just, and like all the different virtues that are required of a fighter, courage, mm, mm. strength, like these sorts of things, maybe by virtue of having had the apex or the Satori experience, you're more able to draw from them draw them down into the into the current moment because they're required of you mm -hmm. that that brings to mind like uh matrix getting plugged in you go and practice in your mind so then you can use it later you know what i mean like you you and and not not that literally but more like um you kind of strengthen 
like going and having those tour experiences maybe strengthens the um the threads within your canvas so that you know when it is confronted with uh you know uh terrain that it's not ready for it's got something there that it can draw from i, I don't know it's, I'm kind ma- of... it's it's maximally adaptable you could put it in very mm. like you know evolutionary simple terms like that experience perhaps allowed by virtue of the fact that allows you to be less rigid with your conception of yourself it makes you maximally adaptable to whatever terrain or environment you find yourself in because you're able to to conjure up a different aspect of yourself that otherwise if you had an extremely rigid notion of yourself you wouldn't have available to you you know, perhaps it's it's as simple as that. Yeah, I um, fuck. That's like <laughs> seriously. I I think we stumbled onto something really really useful there. What was just to to kind of put a pin on this? What was the quote from Viveki again that you mentioned that you've been chewing I, on? I think it was that virtue is the beauty of wisdom. So in this analogy, like wisdom is is knowing how to show up in each circumstance, what aspect of yourself to, to call forth for a given circumstance. And you, maybe the observation of the virtues that are being espoused in that particular embodiment is the, is the wisdom on display. And perhaps it's beautiful because, because of where it's coming from. Those virtues are coming from that source or, or point of, of infinite value or whatever. And by virtue of the, you know, us engaging wisdom to know when to embody them and showcase them and put them on display, perhaps, you know, that's a display of the infinite. That's a display of the ineffable. That's a display of the apex, you know, the, the ultimate value. And maybe it's characterized as beautiful for that reason. I mean, why do we call things beautiful at all? Like, I think it's, uh, oftentimes it's because they're speaking to something that's like profoundly true in, in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but but perhaps sometimes. So I, I'll have to ask him again, but that's my current interpretation of, of uh, that statement that he made. Interesting. If it's I'd, even I'd, right. I'd, I'd like to chew on that. I think, I mean, the word beauty conjures up all sorts of things to me as well. I think like um, I, I, I want to explore the concept of aesthetics as well, like because beauty is such an interesting thing as well. Like um, I, I've had a, I got asked actually by this uh, this girl in Brazil randomly that um that I connected with on like fucking Bumble or Tinder, God knows, and we we never actually met, but we just started getting into these random philosophical conversations on fucking Bumble of all places, and um and she asked me a question. She's like, "Is beauty subjective or objective?" And like I I went straight away to like um answer like, uh, of course it's subjective, all value is subjective, and but as I started writing, I was like wait a minute, fuck, bitch asked me a good question. <laughs> I was like, let me think about this for a second because beauty is one of those interesting things. It's like, you know, the Austrians are very clear and, you know, evidently, um, you know, from experience and life and everything, like value seems to be subjective uh, across all things. But but beauty seems to be this weird thing that we, you know, we subjectively find things beautiful, but there's like certain things that, are objectively beautiful like you look at it, nature or something or you have this kind of satori experience so um you know placing the three words like virtue wisdom and beauty in a single sentence for me is um is definitely a sentence worth chewing on because they're all 
uh, very, very related. Like beauty is a very interesting concept. Yeah, I think I agree and I need to chew on it some more. But I, if, if we're kind of dancing around this notion that value is somehow fundamental, then I don't think we can also say that it's exclusively subjective. So either it's mm -hmm. both, Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. we could say that value is subjectively experienced, but it may not be subjectively derived, you know, mm -hmm, and, and maybe mm -hmm, a very mm -hmm. simple way of not proving that, but like a thought experiment is like, do you, de do you decide to see something as beautiful? Like when you're on the mountaintop or you're on the beach, like I was saying, I was in the water before and I look up at the mm -hmm. sky and the sunset mm -hmm. is amazing. And I'm just like, I'm going to say this is beautiful now. No, I'm like, I'm like taken yeah. by the beauty of it, but that wasn't a decision. So what's, what's happening there? So it's definitely experienced subjectively because someone sitting next to me could be like, I had a really bad day, broke up with my girl, lost all my money. I don't give a fuck about sunsets. Like this is stupid. So mm -hmm, it's a subjectively mm -hmm, experienced, mm -hmm, but where is the beauty coming from ultimately? And you know, maybe it's a relationship like, you know, because so I don't, I don't really know, but I, I think it's again, overly simplistic uh, just to say that, you know, beauty and value is entirely subjective all the you know all the time and that's case closed i think the austrians are, are really good once like if you don't have to deal with the source of value ultimately like once it's in the mix they're really good at determining mm -hmm. how it gets passed around and and uh how it orients behavior and that kind of stuff but you know and and but as we've been discussing like this is why you can't leave out the religious or deeply philosophical discussions about value because you can't just give yourself a gimme and say, well, like, just put it in the game and then we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out how it works in like an economy or market or something like that. Like you gotta, if you want it to be like a unified theory or in, properly integrated, you've got to contend with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, ridiculous conversations like these are part of trying to contend <laughs> with it. Right. <laughs> Speaking speaking of ridiculous conversations, I, I, I want to get into mythology, mythology and theology. How much do you have a time limit by any chance, or no? No, no, because I'm, I'm still good. quite a bit here. Um, before I get into mythology and theology, which I think I'm actually even going to split into a third part of this, I, I, I want to ask you a question about how you differentiate between value and virtue. Do you see them as the same thing? Do you see them as different? Like it's one a verb, one a noun, like curious that this one is a good question one. the the answer i've never really thought about it i guess the mm. or maybe i have in notes but the answer that comes to mind is that virtue it's kind of like that quote we were just dealing with like maybe virtue is the embodiment of value it's it's value in action that's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know if that mm -hmm. conforms to the proper definition of either of those words but that's what comes to mind immediately